Good morning, First Baptist Fair Oaks. How are you doing this morning? Hi, my name is Dave Hightower. I'd like to welcome all of you to worship. Um, let's, let's get started. First things first, the connection card. In front of you in the back of the pews, you're going to find a connection card here. They are for exactly what I said. You stay connected with the church. Fill it out. If you have any prayer requests, you can uh, put them on there. If you're a first-time guest, you can take the connection card and turn it in at the connection kiosk in the back. We have a, a gift for you, just to thank you for stopping by and spending your, uh, your day worshiping with us. Am I standing in the wrong place? Well, a lot of feedback. Also, I want to bring your attention to the QR code. That's also on the back of the pew. You can scan that with your phone. And with that, you can find sermon notes in order of service. You can also find an electronic version of the connection card. And if you uh, desire, you can fill it out there. Uh, Social media, First Baptist Fair Oaks. We have a presence on YouTube where you can find past past sermons, uh, Facebook, Instagram. You can see upcoming events on them. You can see past events. It's like a time machine. Um, so you can check out those giving methods. Uh, you can text FBCFO and the amount to 73256. And thank you. And um, doing so will take you to a link where it's a secure link. You can put in your dollar amount of your tithe and your offering, and you can uh, give your gift that way if you're like me want to do it old school, there's envelopes in front of you, and you can put your, uh, your money or your check or uh, your gift in the, uh, the, the drop boxes in the lobby. Bulletin. If you, hopefully, you picked one of these up. These are great. There's sermon notes in there, plus there's all kinds of information, upcoming events in there. And I'm going to do a plug for two of them. First of all is Donkey Tales. I see a couple of the children's choir people here. Raise your hand. Children's choir. They're doing a play called Donkey Tales in three weeks. That'll be 6 p.m. in here. So I don't have any kids in the choir, but I'm going to come because I want to support them, and I hope to see all of you there as well. VBS. That's coming up in June. It's like... All of a sudden, it's like last year when I was announcing VBS. It just comes by so quickly. So that's coming in June. Uh, if, you, if you have kids, the connection kiosk, you can get your kids signed up in there. If you want to serve, they always need more help. Many hands make light work, so if you want to help, you can also sign up there and serve in that capacity as well. Morning, Kevin. Welcome to worship. We... We love you. Ladies had a great event yesterday, and it reminded me once again that we have come to a place on this moment to worship the Lord. So this is our voice, our life, glorifying the God that we come to worship. So would you stand with me? Our God is greater than any circumstance. Amen? Come on, our God is greater than any circumstance, amen? Thank you. Oh, 
you're finding your seat today, I just want to say, hey, glad to see you this morning. Hey, it's the first Sunday of May. Can you believe it is May? Now, we went from winter to 90, back to winter, and it'll be 90 again next week. Yeah, like next Sunday, it's supposed to be like 94 degrees here. Isn't it fun living in California? Move to California, they said, where the weather's great all year round. Perfect. Hey, it's the first Sunday of May, and usually what we do here at First Baptist on the first Sunday of every month is we take a little bit of time in our worship services to focus on missions. And so this month, what I thought we would do is we would reflect a little bit on what our missions team just did this last month. So Pastor Dan, come on out with some of your, uh, your crew member. Right? And so if you recall, this last April, like you know, a long time ago, a month ago, the, um, this group and a few more, they went down to the Dream Center in Los Angeles and served some of the wonderful people and residents of the Los Angeles area. So Pastor Dan, would you tell us a little bit about your trip? Ready? The clock is on. Go. Ready? Go. Um, So we got to spend the week right before Easter. So Holy Week going down to the city of Los Angeles to a little place called the Dream Center. Um, The pictures you're going to see up here are just some of our group time together. And then a couple of the opportunities where we got to serve. The people that we were serving and getting to interact with um, are some of the people in the the hardest and toughest and lowest spots of their lives. So I, I hope you guys all understand that there were no selfies while we were handing out food at the park. And there were no group pictures when we were ministering on Skid Row to people who were on drugs and homeless. And so we had a ton of opportunities to be face-to-face with those who were in need and in pain and receptive of, of hearing a word from the Lord and hearing the gospel. And so we're just so thankful, everybody, that you entrusted us to go and serve in the name of First Baptist Church of Fair Oaks, that you helped send us, that you prayed for us while we were going. And I'm just thankful for, as a youth pastor, I got to take four students and three adults plus myself, so a group of eight. Um, And I got to see the Lord work in the lives of my four students and the Lord work in the lives of my three adults. And I brought back a different team than we had left with just five days before. So thank you all so much for 
allowing us to go serve. Thank you for entrusting us with the gospel to go make Jesus' name known and then for giving us the opportunity just to be part of what the Lord's doing, not just here in Fair Oaks, but all over the state of California. Do you guys have anything you want to add? It's very humbling. And so each of the people on the team, I I got to experience, I'll say as the leader, times when the Lord led each of them to step out of their comfort zone, to pray for people in ways that I've never seen these students pray for people before, and just step into the lives of people by the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. So thank you so much. We love you guys. Thank you for allowing us to serve. And I'm going to pray right now and pray over God's word for this morning. So thank you, Lord, so much for letting us gather in your house. Thank you for allowing us to have a space to come and be your people and to hear your word, Lord. We pray over the the reading of your word this morning, God, that our hearts will be ready to hear, that our eyes will be ready to see, that we will be able to engage with you and learn and become men and women who reflect you more each day, Jesus. Thank you for this time and this place, God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So every time I hear that music, I'm starting to think that I'm on an episode of Hawaii Five O. Anybody else thinking like da 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 da? All right, yeah. I just want to grab my surfboard, which I've never actually done, but it looks like it'd be fun. All right. Well, hey everybody. Good morning. Oh come on, church! You just heard what God did in Los Angeles on the hearts of people on Skid Row. Good morning, church. All right, that's what we're talking about. Hello, everybody online. I heard you. All right. Glad you're with us today. Hey, on your way in today, hopefully you picked up an outline, one of these bad dudes right here, and hopefully you got two inserts. Let me see them. Show them to me. Show show me your inserts. You got two, a yellow one and a white one. All right, now let's talk about the white one. This is what you use to follow along with me today, all right? This is your sermon notes for if you haven't been around here before. These are so you can follow along with the sermons. It's got all the fill in the blanks, all the scriptures that we're using today. Please use it. If you're like some people who hate paper, you can scan the QR code in front of you. You can follow along digitally with me as well. Now, the yellow one here, this is the one I want to call your attention to. As we're uh, focusing this uh, year on getting stronger, this is the next sermon series that we're going to be starting next week. It's called Our Imperfect Family. Now, if you have a perfect family, you can take the next six weeks off, okay? But if you have an imperfect family, I want to encourage you to be here. Not only for you to be here, but for you to use this rave card and hand it to somebody who you know needs to be here. Because here's the deal. We know that you know someone who is struggling in their family life. We know that you know someone who has lied to cover up not just their own mistake, but someone else's mistake. We know that you know someone who has a difficult time with establishing boundaries in relationships. We know that you know someone who needs to come to church with you because they have an imperfect family. And so we want you to use this card to invite them to church starting next week. So give them this card. Let them know that this series will be well worth their time. So church, what I'm asking you to do is right now and this week be praying and asking God who he's going to lay on your heart 
for you to invite to church. Y'all with me so far? Good. So today, though, we are finishing up our series called The Ultimate Lifestyle. Hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit more about Romans chapter 8. And what we've been saying over the course of this series is that if you were on a deserted island in the middle of the Pacific out there, and if you could only have a couple of pages in the Bible to rip out and stick in your pocket, what would you do? I would recommend for you to rip out Romans chapter 8, stick it in your pocket. And why that, uh, why that chapter? Because it's incredibly rich. There's a lot in there about your relationship to God and what Christ has done for you. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to finish up in chapter 8 today. Go ahead and put your finger on verse 31. And as usual, we'll put uh, the Bible verses up on the screen here as well. You see them in your outline. And today's title of the sermon is this, God is for us. Would you believe there's so many people out there who claim to be a believer and have no idea that God is for them? Now, sometimes they think about it, but there's a lot of believers who really struggle with this, and especially when it comes to circumstances and things like that. And we talked about that last week. So today, I really hope that you understand this idea right here that God is for you. Yes, you. All right? So the last uh, eight verses of Romans chapter 8, they form the pinnacle of the book. It's kind of like the mountaintop towering over the the Sierra foothills. Like if you're driving north on I-5 and you get to about Willows on a clear day, you can see Mount Shasta a long ways away. That's this section of scripture right here. It brings new heights and understanding of God's amazing grace. And a lot of times there are people, we're talking believers now, who struggle with this idea of what God's grace even is. Some people grow up in church and still have no idea what God's grace really is. And so whenever they hear pastors say, hey, isn't it great that we can live by grace? They kind of scratch their head and go, I have no idea what that even is. So in these verses right here that we're going to look at today, here's Paul, and he's pointing to five rhetorical questions that we're going to look at, five realities about God's grace That we will see. And all of them focus on what God has done for us and what He has promised for us through Jesus Christ. And personally, congregation, I believe that these passages right here that we're going to look at today, these are the clearest description of what grace is in the entire New Testament. So you've picked a great day to come to church. Are you ready? Let's go. Here we go. Five realities of God's grace. Number one in your outline, grace means that I can always count on God's power. So here we are. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Rome. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be Against us. Now, we just sang about that a few minutes ago. If my God is for us, who can be against us? Now, this verse right here says, What shall we say in response to this? What is this? This is referring to the dozens of amazing proofs of God's unfailing love that He has listed for us in all the preceding verses. For example, in week one, three weeks ago, we talked about how. The scripture says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1. Last week, we talked about how we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 28. And so this verse right here, this is a culmination of all of those wonderful promises that are given to us in this book. It reminds us of who God is, and how he helps us. And when we grasp this truth, congregation, simply put that God is for us. When we get that, we really have nothing to fear in life. Why? Because he's on our side. 
He's working on our behalf and he's working for our good. He's given us his spirit and he has adopted us into his family. Congregation, God is on your side. He cares what's going on in your life. He is for you personally. In fact, in the New Testament, in the book of 1 John chapter 4, it's not in your notes there, but in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 4, the, the, the scripture says this, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, since God is for you and he's working all things together for good, he holds the world in the palm of his own hand. And it says that he is greater than all of us and everything else and everybody else in the world. Now, we believe that to be true. And so since it's true, there's really no reason why any believer should ever really feel overwhelmed. God is for you, and he's on your side. But here's the struggle, Pastor Wayne, right? Here's the struggle. We theologically know this. We do. But practically, we have a hard time living it out day in and day out because life comes at us and we get the tidal wave of pressure and all the stuff that just hits us. And we feel this friction in the world and we forget this truth. But somehow, friends, somehow, some way, we've got to remind ourselves that, hey, if God is for me, who can be against me? If you like sports, think of this analogy. We have the MVP on our team, okay? We have the king of kings, the lord of lords on our team. We've got the ace player. So we've got to remind ourselves, hey, there is no reason for us to be overwhelmed as believers. So when it comes to finances, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to health, Whatever the case may be, we've got the MVP working for us. He's got unlimited capability of handling all of the needs that take place in our life and in the world around us. We have an amazing God who is King of Kings and He's Lord of Lords. And this is the mystery of the resurrection that we talked about on Easter Sunday. We've been saying that in this, uh, this whole idea in this series that we have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us, right? And so the question is, is are you living with this power in your life on a daily basis? Every day. We know that we have that power in us, but so many believers struggle to tap into it. So the first part of living out grace in your life is recognizing that as a believer, you have God's unlimited power at your exposure. Now, you have to abide in his spirit. You have to be driven by his spirit and you've got to be controlled by his spirit so in other words, congregation, you must be connected to him in order to get that. But you do have it, God's unlimited power, and you can count on it. Amen? Number two, grace means that I can always count on God's provision. I can count on his power, and I can count on his provision. Let's look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us, and what's he going to give us, everybody? He's going to give us all things. All things. So we talked about all things last week. All things mean all things. Okay. So many times believers we tend to think that we're just gonna pray and talk to God about the big things in life. It's kind of like we don't wanna concern him with all the small itty-bitty details of our life. And by the way, I hear that all the time from some of you, all right? But here's a different way to think about this. 
God has already taken care of the number one single biggest issue in your life, sin. He's already taken care of it. How? Through Jesus coming to this earth and dying for you on the cross. So let's just get that on the table. Biggest issue, done. Check. Okay. Now, if God cares enough about that, wouldn't he care about the other stuff too? He does. Whether it's relational problems, financial problems, or any other struggle that you can think of. That's the truth. God does care about all the little things in your life and in my life. So I just want to encourage you today, brothers and sisters, honestly, cast all of your cares on him. Lay them at the foot of the cross. This is part of the benefit of being a Christ follower. God cares about you and about you. And you, 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 but not you. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Yeah. He even cares about you. Okay. Now, play along with me real quick. All right, now that we got that. Let's just say a good friend of yours decides to be very generous and buy you a new house. Sweet deal. Paid for, cashed out. You go down to the county recorder, you sign the paperwork, the house, it's in your name. Great deal, right? Finish the paperwork and you say, okay, can I have the keys? Oh, no. No keys. No, you just, you just get to admire the house from 50 feet away. It's in your name. You own it, but you don't ever get to go into it. Now, I was born at night, but not last night, okay? And so I'm pretty confident that you would probably say, I don't need the house, you can keep it, if that was a real situation. Why? Because you're not getting the benefit of owning the stinking thing. The same thing is true with God. What good is it if God sends Jesus to redeem us And then you can think of heaven and then someday down the road get there. But in the meantime, in daily life, oh, no, no, no. God says you're just on your own. Is God going to work like that? Heavens, no, family. He's not going to do that. That's not how he works. If he's going to send Jesus to take care of our biggest need, sin, then he's going to provide all of our other needs as well. We got to recognize that. In verse 31, Paul said, if God is for us, and then verse 32, he says, how much he's for us by sending his own son to die for us. And over and over again in scripture, we see that God teaches us that when we place the Lord in slot number one in our life, not two, but slot number one, when we make him first place, When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the other things come into play. He promises, catch this congregation, 100% of the time that he will provide for us. And you could take that to the bank. And point number two here, I could go on and on and on about this. could be a whole message Philippians chapter four, verse 19. This isn't in your notes, it's in my notes. You have to listen here. It's a familiar verse to many of you. Paul says this, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And here's the good news. None of that is based on you. It's not based on your behavior, right? It's not based on your intelligence. It's not even based on your amazing looks. Hey, good looking. How you doing? Hey, good looking. Yeah, I, I knew what to say to her. <laughs> no, it's not according to any of that. It's according to his good and glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. That's good stuff right there. And God chooses to do that. And how he chooses to do it now may look different to all of us. 
But he is ultimately our provider, and he provides for us out of his good grace. He is our provider. He is our provider. Congregation, I don't, we don't say this enough in church. Listen, you are not your provider. Your job is not your provider. Your 401k is not your provider. Your mommy is not your provider. Okay? You know who your provider is? Jesus. Period. Jesus is your provider. And he does it out of his good grace, his incredible, unmerited favor for us. Why? Thank you, Lord, because you love us. Grace means that I can always count on his power and his provision. Number three in your outline. Grace means that I can always count on God's protection. The protection of God Almighty. Now think about that, congregation. This is an amazing thing. God protects us from so many things, many times, and we don't even realize he's doing it. He does it on a day-to-day basis. Romans chapter 8, now look at verse 33. The next question Paul raises. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So now hopefully you're tracking with me, and as we're breaking these verses down, you're seeing these rhetorical questions now. We already know the, the answer to most of them. But Paul is asking them in such a way as to kind of stimulate our thinking here. And you can see in the text here, he says, who's going to bring charges against us? Now, the reality is people will bring charges against you, right? There are times when people accuse us of all kinds of things, and even if they're not even true. Boy, that one's a humdinger, isn't it? But it happens, And certainly the enemy, Satan and his demons, they're going to accuse us. In fact, we learned this in the What Are You Thinking series uh, back in March, that the enemy is even going to use our minds to attack us and to accuse us and bring condemnation on ourselves. So we're all going to experience these accusations and things like that in our life, but do we have to embrace it? And the answer is absolutely not. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says this. For the accuser, now circle that word, accuser, for me. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Now, this is an interesting thing about heaven. The Bible speaks of times when Satan is actually in the throne room of God. And he's throwing accusations about us to God. Okay, we saw it with Job in the Old Testament, right? So here's the enemy. He's going to come in and he's going to stand before God. and He's going to say, God, Wayne did this. And blah, 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 blah. And he's going to attack me and he's going to do the same thing to you. It's just the way that is. You just got to understand it, all right? So he's going to come after, he's going to come after. So imagine we're, he, here it's in heaven and God is the judge and Satan is the prosecutor and hopefully there's no DAs in here, all right? And if there is, how you doing? All right. My name's Kevin Hunnell. Glad you're here today. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Kev. How you doing, buddy? So here's Satan, he's the prosecutor, and he's the one bringing these accusations and spiritual charges against us. And so here we are, we're taking this, we're hearing this. And so then who is going to defend us and speak on our behalf? Who's our defense attorney? Great question, I'm glad you asked. Write this down, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's not in your notes, but I'll tell you. It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So there's God's ultimate plan. And he goes on and says, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Ah, our defense attorney. That we don't even have to pay for. Who is it? It says right here. 
Jesus, the righteous one. And then it gives his credentials in verse 2. It says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, wow, here's a great deal, even for the sins of the whole world. So we've got this judge who's for us. We've got a defense attorney who gave his life for us. And then we got a prosecutor who's been disbarred, thrown out, and condemned. I like the idea here. I'm liking the odds. So when accusations are thrown at you, about you, to God the judge, we have the ultimate defense attorney working for us and speaking up on our behalf. In fact, in your outline, you see here that the word accused from the book of Revelation, you see that word accused, it means to bring a charge or to impeach. And here's what you need to get from this, that as believers, we we are impeachable, unimpeachable. We are unimpeachable. And the reason for that is this. Get the visual here. For everyone who is a Christ follower, who is a believer, we were actually judged before we accepted Christ. And now on this side of believing, we have moved from judgment to life. Jesus came so that we may have life and life abundantly. Why? Because of what Christ did on the cross. So that makes us, as believers, no longer impeachable. Thanks be to God. Jesus is the one who moves us from judgment to life. He moves us from condemnation to no condemnation. We talked about that in week one. And as we begin to live life out day in and day out, my friends, if you can get this, There is amazing freedom that comes from being in Christ. All right. Y'all with me on that? All right. Number four. Grace means that I can always count on God's pardon. His pardon. So grace means, let's track it here, means I can count on God's power, on his provision, on his protection, and now on his pardon as well. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. The next question Paul says. Now, who then is the one who condemns? I love this. No one. No one. No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life And we talked about that on Easter Sunday. Thanks be to God. He is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. And if Christ loved us enough to die for us, who is going to bring that condemnation? No one. Right? Now, congregation, this makes all the difference in the world. If you're a believer, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus has done. I cannot state this enough and beat this drum. This pulls down people. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this isn't in your notes either, but you can write this one down because I'm very giving today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ died For sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. And the reason is this. To bring you to God. We talked about this verse a few weeks ago. He's the one who bridges the gap between sinful man and a holy God. He was put to death, it says, in the body but made alive in the spirit. So when we talk about this idea of God's pardon now. That 2023-ish years ago. All the punishment that we deserve, and that's a lot. All the condemnation that we actually deserve. All the criticism that we deserve. All of this was put on the shoulders of Jesus. And that condemnation was nailed to the cross. Somebody owes me a pizza. 
And at that moment when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you don't know, here's what was going on at that moment in time. All of your sin, all of my sin, all of the sin of the world was placed on Christ's shoulders. And the perfect fellowship that Jesus and the Father had known at that moment in time was separated. It was broken. And Jesus felt that loss of fellowship with God. Because all that condemnation, that sin was placed on Jesus. And we called that Calvary. In fact, there's a worship song. Many of us know it. It goes back a few couple days. And the words of that worship song say, In mercy there was great and grace was free. And pardon there was multiplied to me. And there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. That, my friends, is the mystery of grace. And if you're wondering how you can get it, it's really simple. In the book of John, chapter 3, verse 18, it just says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now, you go back to Romans eight thirty-four here. I want to show you something. Romans 8, 34, says, it says, at the right hand of God. Now, there is a significance as to the reason why Paul is writing this. In the Old Testament, in the days of the tabernacle and the temple, we had priests, all right? And where the priests would do their work, there was no chairs, Right? There was an altar, there was a place for washing, there was some curtains, there was a table, maybe the ark was there, and there was a lampstand, and that's about it. There was no chairs, no place for the priest to take a little rest, no break time. Why? Because he was too busy to sit down. He had no shortage of work. There was so much sin to be atoned for, his entire shift he would work from start to finish. No opportunity for him to take a little fanny break. The priest had plenty of job security. Then enter Jesus. He comes and he becomes the once and for all sacrifice for humanity's sin. And because of that, he sits down at the right hand of God. Here's what that means. That Christ's work is finished. There's no more sin to be atoned for. That's why Jesus said in John 19.30, the absolute last words that came out of his mouth before he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Congregation, his work was complete. So being a Christ follower, it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done for you. It's not about coming to church. It's not about singing the songs and praying the prayers and giving your money and listening to the bald guy who's got a nice sermon and tells corny jokes. All right? We don't do this to somehow earn God's favor or to get his attention. Woohoo! God, do you see me? No. Oh, we're not begging for him to love us anymore. Folks, God loves you at maximum level right now. So when you begin to recognize all the things that he's done for you through his life, his death, his resurrection, all of your mess-ups, all of your wrongdoings, past, present, and future, all of those things, congregation, they have been pardoned. They've been atoned for because they were nailed to the cross. And I believe that when that light bulb kicks on, it's awesome now. Because then your desire to serve God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might, it is there. Serving Christ is now about demonstrating the salvation that you already have. It's not about earning salvation. It's about, be, about being thankful for the grace of God given to us because he has pardoned us of our sin 
through Jesus on the cross. You got that? Number five, and we'll finish up strong today. Grace means that I can always count on God's presence. Amen, that's exactly right, brother. It means that I can always count on his power. I can count on his provision. I can count on his protection. I can count on his pardon, and I can count on his presence. Romans 8, verse 35, the fifth one that Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And these are all different ways to bring us down or harm us. Paul goes on, he says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness. Now, let me stop right there real quick. That does not mean people standing around with no clothes on. That's not what it means. What it's referring to is being in a place of vulnerability or a place where you're not protected from the enemy, okay? Famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And then Paul says something really interesting if you catch this. Verse 36, he says, As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, right here at this spot, Paul is actually quoting Psalm 44, 22. And this was about the Jews in the Old Testament and how they had a ton of persecution from the non-Jewish people. And you can read the stories in the Old Testament about how they went through all kinds of crazy things for centuries. And so here, Paul, he's painting this picture of of the folks here, uh, of them being, you know, like sheep to be led to the slaughterhouse. You know, like if you can envision the slaughterhouse, sheep after sheep in the line, one after another, getting ready to, to go become lamb chops. And so Paul, he's painting this picture here, and all of a sudden he pulls back, and in verse 37 he says this. No. In other words, no, 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 no. In all of these things, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him, Christ Jesus, who loved us. But how? How? How is that even possible in a world that is against me? How can I overcome them? He says right here, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Now that's a lot of stuff. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to, what church say with me, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good stuff right there, brothers and sisters. In verse one of chapter eight, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he ends the chapter in verse 39, saying nothing can separate us from God's love. That's us. That's us. Nothing can separate us from God. I think you like that. Let's plug it into real life. We make choices. We make choices. Some of our choices, sinful choices. When we make those sinful choices, our fellowship with God separates. But this does not separate us from the relationship that we have with God. Okay? I have two kids. They're teenagers. 15 and 17. Sometimes they do dumb things. Well, a little bit more often than sometimes. Okay, often, okay. (laughs) And they're very sweet. But they are high schoolers. And if you've raised teenagers, you understand exactly what I'm saying here. All right? So there are times when they make choices and they do things that 
break the intimacy and the fellowship between them and me or them and their mommy, okay? Is it okay if I still call you mommy? (laughs) All right. But no matter what they do, it will never change the fact that Jill and I are their parents and that they will always be our two kids and we will always love them. Parents, you understand what I'm saying here. The same is true with our relationship with God. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we can still make some really bad choices in our fallen nature, and those things cause us to lose intimacy and fellowship with God, but our relationship with him will never change. We have been adopted by him. We are now his kids. We call him Abba Father. He may not be happy with us. You ever experience that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But he will always love us. Look at John. The book of John, chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me, verse 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Let me stop right there. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? Look right here at verse 29, he tells us. Jesus says, my father who has given them to me, what church he is, greater than all. In other words, your staying power in the, in the hand of God has nothing to do with you and your behavior. It's totally based on God and his power that is greater than everything else out there in the world. And then he goes on and says, no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Verse 30, because I and the father are one. I love the little bit of Trinity stuff there going on, right? That's good stuff right there. So let's put it all together. Living by grace. And this is what I want you to visualize this week and pray through, okay? It means that you are experiencing God's power in your life. You are trusting him for provision in your life. That you believe that he has your back and and he's going to protect you. And that, that you have been pardoned from your past, your present, and all of your future mistakes too. And that you are experiencing his presence in life right now as you walk through day in and day out. And if you've ever wanted to know, what does it mean to live by grace? Congregation, that's it right there. It's the application of all five of these principles into your daily life. And hear my heart on this, church. Bible knowledge is good. It is. But Bible knowledge alone, it will make you a legalistic, puffed-up person that is completely and totally missing God's heartbeat and you will stay immature in your faith the rest of your life. That's a fact. It is the application of scripture that will make you as a Christ follower become mature in the Lord. Right? Jesus said, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. So at the end of the day, knowing facts and figures and what the Bible says and this verse and that, it means absolutely nothing in the kingdom of God. Applying them into life, that is what will mold you and shape you and change you into the image of Jesus. That is what will help you to grow and walk in the spirit of God. So your task moving forward, It's to take each of these five ideas of grace and work through them. Not to where you just know them, but to the point of where you're trying to apply them in your daily life. And as you can see in your outline here, my encouragement point for you to close out this message is this. Take this home with you, family. God's grace means that God is for you. 
It's what it means. God is for you, beloved. God is for you. He is for you. Our great God is for you. He's for you. Amen. So, congregation, let's go out and let's live the ultimate lifestyle. I'm going to ask that you'll stand and pray with me this morning. Father, as we come before you today, Lord Jesus, we just say we love you back. We don't deserve your favor. We don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve the love that you give us, but you decide to, out of your goodwill, to love us and care for us. Father, we ask for your power in our life, God, that through your amazing grace that we will somehow connect our spirit to you. And we do that today, Lord God, by first